shining a light on government and helping to expose what it is they're doing for you and to you. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association. David Grising, President and CEO, has the week off. Lucky David and lucky us. We're joined by the Director of Policy for the BGA, Marie Dillon. Marie, welcome. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Well, appreciate you taking the time because I know it has been a very busy fall for you and your team at the Better Government Association. You have been working to try to fill in the gaps left by a general assembly that talks a good game but has done next to nothing this entire year on the subject of ethics. It should be priority number one or maybe 1A after the pandemic, given the rash of corruption investigations that we have seen and continue to see. Uh, and yet here here we are, mid-October, the fall veto session just a couple of weeks away, and we've still seen really nothing concrete coming out of the legislature on addressing these issues. And as we've talked in recent weeks, the BGA has put together uh, its own proposal for ethics reform. Uh, and uh, so, Marie, again, just kind of walk us through a little bit about what your plan uh, w would seek to do, what objectives it lays out, and, and how likely is it anything approaching that will ultimately be taken up by the legislature? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, as you said, um, this is long overdue. Our original plan was to release our agenda back in um, March at the same time that the Joint Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform released its recommendations, and they um, haven't released any recommendations yet. And this is um, partly because of COVID. We all know that that slowed us down too, but you know, time's a wasting. So we went ahead and published our plan. Um, I would say, you know, to your point about how how much of it is likely to happen, it's a very ambitious plan. We tried to set the bar really high. It um, goes back to Every ethics commission that we've had since 1965, there, you know, there's usually a scandal followed by an ethics commission, followed by nothing. Um, so we've gone way back to all of those, and, and it includes a lot of things that people have been calling for ever since 1965. Give me an example. What, what's been uh, talked about since 65 that has never gotten done but would really make a meaningful difference? Well, the particular ethics commission in 1965 was called the Conflicts of Interest Commission, um, and it did produce one of our ethics laws, but um, the things that it recommended and the things that were passed were not the same. We still have some of the weakest ethics laws in the nation. Um, for example, uh, lawmakers uh, are really not required to disclose much in um, the, the statements of economic interest that they file every year are pretty meaningless. When you look at those, your the purpose of those is so that you could see uh, their potential conflicts of interest, but the forms are really um, so vague as to be meaningless. So it's impossible for you to um, tell if your lawmaker has a conflict of interest. And um, we don't have strong laws that say what a lawmaker is supposed to do in the event that they have a conflict of interest. You know, are they supposed to recuse themselves? It's just left up to their discretion. So, you know, the combination of you not being able to know if they have one and them not having to tell you um, if they do, it, it's just meaningless. Well, and uh, I think you've uh, really hit upon what it seems to me to be one of the major challenges here is that right now it seems largely left to the legislature to police itself, whether for members to actually be on their best behavior. And we know that uh, there are frequently times when that's not the case or for other lawmakers to uh, hold them accountable when they are not on their best behavior. And that's also been a, a pretty ineffective system here. 
How does the BGA's plan address that and put some teeth into some of these uh, ethics reforms if they should ever be passed? Well, yeah, that's another thing that has never been fixed. Um, the And that's in the, another of the ethics acts. Um, we have an inspector general for the legislative branch, but um, he or she uh, cannot conduct an investigation without asking the um, ethics commission, um, cannot publish the findings of any investigation without permission from the commission. And the commission is made up of uh, four lawmakers from each party, um, total of eight. So, uh, you know, the the default vote on that commission is a uh, 4-4 deadlock. So if the, if the uh, inspector general wants to do an investigation, uh, very often it's like four to four no. Um, or if they do an investigation and have a finding of wrongdoing um, by a lawmaker, you know, and want to publish that report, then it's a four to four no vote. So um, everybody who has been an inspector general for the legislative branch has said, this doesn't work, please fix it. And they've never fixed it. What are the odds that we will actually see uh, in this fall veto session coming up or anytime soon, a report from this commission that is supposed to have been studying these issues for months in the General Assembly? Well, I believe they'll do a report. Um, I have seen, you know, some correspondence, internal correspondence, and um, it's clear from what I've seen that they did pay attention to the testimony in the spring, that they heard a lot of things that I wondered if they had heard. So I believe there will be a report. Um, You know, what will come of it? Um, You know, history says not much. And, you know, I think what is going to make a difference is, A, the U.S. attorney is not going to go away this time. And B, you know, they need to hear from their constituents. They need to hear loud and clear that they've had enough of this. You know, uh, when you talk about things like the uh, uh, economic disclosures and and divulging conflicts of interest and things, uh, and this is all very important, but for voters, uh, ultimately, how do we make use of that information to make wiser choices, to uh, not put people into positions where they either have those conflicts of interest or will seek to exploit those conflicts of interest? Because that that seems like another big challenge is that even if uh, more of this information were available, how do we get into the hands of voters? Well, first you have to make it available. I mean, that's where you hit the wall. I don't know how you um, find these things out if they're not required to disclose them, except for that, you know, from time to time, the newspapers will um, bust somebody or bust several people or the U.S. attorney will do it. Um, So uh, even if you had that information in your hands, um, and I know we'll talk about this in a few minutes, you can't throw people out anyway, because under our system, um, basically everybody has their district drawn for them and you can't throw the bums out because they don't have an opponent. So the whole system needs to kind of be, that's why it's such an ambitious plan on our part. The whole system needs to be fixed from top to bottom. And that is an excellent, an excellent segue into what we're going to be talking about next to talking about uh, maps, redistricting uh, the challenges that we face there. And with a census just about complete uh, remap uh, on the way imminently, it's a more important discussion that it's been in any time in the past 10 years. So we'll talk about that next. It's full disclosure. Marie Dillon is the director of policy for the Better Government 
Government Association, filling in this morning for David Greising here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. And while we've had a lot of focus on ethics reform, another critical issue for good government in Illinois is how legislative maps are drawn. And are they drawn to the benefit of voters? Or are they drawn to the benefit of uh, the incumbent lawmakers? Well, Marie Dillon and the BGA have taken a, a look at this issue and come up with their own uh, proposal for uh, remapping, uh, actually uh, putting together a map to show how it could work in a much better system. Maria, walk us through this, uh, starting with, uh, again, for people who uh, you know maybe haven't uh, heard about this issue for a while, why is how the maps are drawn so important? Well, um, as you say, um, depending on who draws it, it could be for the benefit of the people that are supposed to be represented by the General Assembly and by Congress, or it could be for the benefit of the um, people who hold those offices. Um, ever since the last census, the people of Illinois have been trying to amend their constitution so that the maps would be drawn by an independent panel instead of by lawmakers. Um, and you probably recall, you know, that they <laughs> this have been several lawsuits and it always ends up going to the Supreme Court and being thrown out on a technicality. It's never made it to the ballot and we've never even had the opportunity to discuss this on its merits. Um, it's always just been, you know, did you get the right number of signatures? Um, does the Constitution allow you to do it this way or that way to get something on the ballot? So we have never talked about independent redistricting on its merits in this state. So what we did was hire consultants, Rob Perrell and Jim Lewis in Chicago, to draw the maps um, using um, extrapolated census data um, and do it according to the principles of independent redistricting, which means, you know, as compact a districts as you can draw, uh, protect the minority voting rights, um, uh, preserve communities of interest, but most importantly, do not take into account uh, where the current incumbents live or how the people who live in these districts have voted in the past. Just draw them without that information. So that's what they did. And uh, they produced maps of the General Assembly, the Senate, and the House, and then took the same data. They put the incumbents' addresses on it after they had drawn them, took the voter data after they had drawn them, and then projected how these maps would have performed and compare it to the current map. You know, and it's a, a remarkable. You can go to the BGA's website and see how this plays out, uh, see the current maps where particularly congressional districts, but a lot of state legislative districts, too. Uh, there's such a contortionism going on, uh, bending and twisting these uh, districts into the most bizarre shapes, uh, as you know, to try to protect incumbents, as opposed to just having uh, compact districts uh, that, that put entire communities together. Springfield wouldn't be divided, for example, among multiple congressional or multiple legislative districts. Uh, our interests would be uh, bound together. Uh, and again, it just shows you the possibilities there. If, in fact, we could ever get this change made, it is an ongoing effort of the BGA. Uh, Marie, unfortunately, we're out of time. This segment goes by so quickly, but uh, we <laughs> want to encourage people to go uh, look at this map, look at the possibilities themselves, and continue to, to push for this and to advocate for it. So how do people find the Better Government Association website, and how do they reach out to you the rest of the week? Uh, okay, our site is bettergov, B-E-T-T-E-R-G-O-V dot org, and in the top right-hand corner of the site, you can click right on the map icon and go to this project. You can type in your address, any address, look how 
see how it would look on each of the maps. Um, my email address is right there on the site. All right, go I'll check it out. Friend. And if you have uh, policy ideas or suggestions or want to help out the BGA in some way, you can reach out to them. Again, the website, bettergov.org. And here each Wednesday morning, full disclosure on the WMAY morning news feed. Marie, thanks so much. Great to talk to you. Hope we'll talk again soon. Thank you.